0: Let's open our Bibles today to the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. If you didn't bring your Bible today, there's a red one right there in front of you in the pew. I think it's on page number 876, the book of Ephesians. I'd like to speak to you this morning on the subject of God's masterpiece I told you the last few weeks that the book of Ephesians is, uh, is one of the deepest books in the Bible, and the first three chapters are what we call doctrinal. That means uh, basic premises upon which the Church of Christ is founded. Now, the last three chapters are practical. Of course, we like the practical things, uh, but uh, doctrinal things, uh, the basic principles of the Foundations of the faith are important too. Last week we talked to you about God's master plan. In Ephesians chapter 1, God did have a master plan. I've never been very good at master planning much. I do something and and then after it's done I say, Boy, I wish I had a plan. But God had a plan and in Ephesians chapter 1, His plan was first of all to call the Jewish nation into the world to be His light. And from time to time, they did a pretty good job. And then he had another plan, that when their light began to become dim, and when he presented himself to them, they rejected him. The Bible says in John 1, 11 and 12, he came unto his own, the Jews. And his own received him not, but as many as received him to them, gave he the authority to become the children of God. And those people that he received him were the Gentile nations, that's us, that's the rest of the world. God's master plan not only included the Jew, but also before the foundation of the world he had the Gentiles on his mind too, even though the Jewish nation didn't know that. That's his master plan. Today we see in the Bible his masterpiece. We're going to be reading in chapter 2, verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. He's talking to uh, people in churches just like ours. And he said, at one time you were dead, but now you're alive. At one time you were insensitive to God, but now you, you have some sensibility toward God. Verse number two, in which you once walked according to the course of the world. He's talking about their past life, how caught up in the system they were. According to the prince of the power of the air, and we know who that is, don't we? That's the devil, that's Satan right there. The prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. I think all of us look at the world and we have similar questions. We say to ourselves, why is this person so evil? Why are they so terrible? How could they ever do anything like that? Well, here, this verse explains that. The prince of the power of the air works in the hearts of the sons of disobedience. People don't have any resistance toward evil things, and so therefore the devil just empowers them, impels them, motivates them to do evil things. Verse 3, "...among whom also we are once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh." fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath. And that means by nature children of God's wrath, just as the others. The first three verses here are not a pretty picture, but it's a real picture of the world before they come in, into a relationship with Christ. It's a real picture. Verse number four, everything changes, but God Whenever God comes on the things, things do change. Do you know that? Things become different when God comes on the scene. Who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. You know, in our world, I know that you and I both get what I call compassion fatigue. We wish we could heal every situation. We wish that we could go to Galveston, Texas. Or Houston, Texas right now. And there's a group of kids in our church talking about making a trip down there to help. It's overwhelming, the needs uh, in our world. Uh, We have mercy, but not much of it. Uh, Sometimes we just think about it. God is more than that. He does more than think about it. He does it. He has this ocean of mercy and love. Verse number 4. Even when we were dead in trespasses, this is where in verse 5, He made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ. Now, here's the two great verses, which were two of the first verses I ever learned to memorize. Verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now this verse is the basis for the title of our message this morning right here. For we are his workmanship. Some of our Bibles say masterpiece. Whenever God makes something isn't it a masterpiece? It sure is. And and creation of his people that's his masterpiece. So we are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. This is part of why God made you. This is why, part, this is why God made me. For good works. Not in order to be saved, but because we are saved. Uh, there's something inside of us that goes click whenever we trust Jesus as our Savior. We say, hey, listen, I want to do something for Christ. Count me in. Uh, For we are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, You know, God is the great creator. He really is. Uh, You know the scriptures. In Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form, and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And it's interesting, as you follow the creation story in Genesis, uh, almost on every occasion each day, God would look in retrospect over what he made and he would stand back and he'd say, it is good. You know, when God makes something, he does it well, amen? He really does. It is good. But when you go over into chapter 2, he says something that kind of catches you off guard and it goes like this, it is not good. That man should be alone. God created this world around us, and you know, now we're in a a beautiful season, and we we see all the beauty that God created, and it's all from His hand. But you know, as He created the world and brought light and all these things into the world that you and I enjoy today, one of the last things He did was roll up His sleeve and, and make His masterpiece man, Adam. He created man. And he said to man, he says, I want you to have dominion over these things I've created. And Adam went out and did that. He was a gardener. That's horticulture. That was his business, taking care of the garden. And I'm sure that after a while he said, boy, this is, this is not a lot of fun. I don't have anybody I can communicate with very well. And so God looked down and he said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make for him a helper. Someone who will stick with him in, through the good times and bad times, in sickness and in health, and to love and to cherish all the days of his life. And, and so God did his thing and uh, created Eve. And Adam said, this is exactly what I need right here. I'm happy now. God's masterpiece. But, you know, God's masterpiece was spoiled because of sin. God had this tremendous plan, make the world, put my people in the world, and they'll live happily ever after, right? But man's God's masterpiece was spoiled. It reminds me of a story I just read this week in Jeremiah chapter 18, the story of the potter's house. I I like it a lot. God told Jeremiah to go down to the potter's house and he said, I'm going to teach you a lesson down there because the potter is trying to make some clay on his wheel. And the, the Bible says that as the potter worked with the clay, the clay became marred or s- spoiled. And we don't know what happened. We don't know whether it was just misshapen or, or we don't know whether uh, some sort of a foreign object got in it and messed it up. But God was not willing, or the potter, should I say, was not willing to throw the clay away. He started to remake the vessel. He wanted to make something out of it. He wasn't decide, He wasn't ready to discard it. That's like life. It really is. That's like our life. You know, it would be wonderful in our church that if that if we could have the perfect scenario here in our church, we put a lot of effort in young people, young people here at the church. <clears throat> If you come up here on Wednesday, there are kids everywhere. And that's a good thing because I had a guy in our church one time say he went to a church, there was no young people. The church later closed down. We want young people all over the place and we put a lot of effort in that. And our first scenario is we'd like to raise those kids to follow Christ so that they don't have to be scarred and marred like the clay on the potter's wheel. But the reality of it is that yeah, we can do that, and, and we've had a little bit of success of that. But you know, what most of the ministry of the church is about is, is making people again, taking the broken vessel and giving them a new start. That's what most of the church's ministry of this church is about. I drove down to Deep Creek, Maryland yesterday with a guy who just started to come to our church not long ago. And for the two hours of the trip... He told me about the 20 wasted years of his life. He became an alcoholic. He became a drug addict. He's a wonderful guy. And just uh, in the last year or so, he decided to somehow, with God's help, break the addiction and get a life. And it's so great to see him. He's almost like a kid experiencing the world as as a kid because he was so messed up. That's the ministry of the church. To take the broken clay, put it back on the wheel, and make it again. That's the ministry that God has. Here we find in our story for this morning a picture in the first three verses of a hopeless person. And he starts, starts to talk about how things used to be for a person outside of Christ. And he says here that... Uh, First of all, they were dead in trespasses and sins. And what this means is a person is spiritually dead. There's no communication with God. And God uses this uh, metaphor here so that you and I get the picture clearly. You know, when you go up to a corpse, there's nothing going on there, right? Uh, The corpse doesn't see, doesn't hear, doesn't feel. And he says before a person is alive to God, they are dead to God. And I love 1 Corinthians 2.14 and I often try to explain this to people. The reason why they can't get it is because they they can't get it. That's the reason. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says this, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Neither can they know him, because those things are only spiritually understood. The natural man is dead to God. You know, you're all excited about the Lord, and it's fun to be excited about the Lord, it really is. But you know, you're all excited about the Lord, and you go to try to tell somebody, and it's like, there's nothing there. It's blank. It's like, you're excited, they're not excited, and they're looking at you like, what planet are you from? And, you, and you're saying to them, why can't you get this? This is the reason. This is what God tells us here. Uh, That a person, before they come to Christ, is dead to God. Now, they're alive to every other thing. They are alive to sports. I just had to put that in this morning. They're alive to sports. They're alive to to vocation. They're alive to everything in the world. But they're dead to God. There's nothing there. That's the way things used to be. Look further here in verse 2 in which you once walked the word walk there means lifestyle your lifestyle was according to the course of the world the path of the world before a person comes to god and has an encounter with christ they're kind of caught up in the system of the world they're busy they're preoccupied and whatever way the world is going that's the way they're going the latest trend the latest fad count me in i'm right in here with you uh That's a person that is dead to God. They're looking for something and they're trying to find it in the world. But I know that many of you in this room this morning have lived long enough to know that the world doesn't have the answer that you need. John the Apostle said this, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, because if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, are not of the Father but of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he that does the will of God remains forever. And so he says, listen, you were just walking in the world. There's these three little statements that we use in the church. Some of you have been going to Bible-preaching churches forever almost. I'll count myself in that. And remember that, those three little things that we talk about, the world, the flesh, and the devil, remember? And and ministers or Bible teachers usually tell us that that's like the enemies that we face in the world is the world, the flesh, and the devil. Let's say that. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, the world is against you for sure. And your own worst enemy is who? That's you. You might say, that's not me, Pat. that's you. Your own worst enemy is you. And, and on top of it all, we have the devil to deal with. Now, it's interesting to me that we've used that little statement for years in the church. But here it is, right here in our passage for this morning. Let's look at it. We've already referred to the world here. Uh, and we've already referred, in verse number 2, to the devil. The prince of the power of the air. Uh, The devil devil is a real person, and the Bible says he's like a roaring lion. He's walking about seeking whom he may devour, and uh, he's in business. He really is. And then there's this one other thing, the world, the flesh. The flesh is mentioned here, too. Verse number three, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh. Wow. Galatians 5.16 has the answer. Let's read this together. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There's only one way that you can get above it all, and that's through God, the Holy Spirit. If you walk in the Holy Spirit, you can break the bondage of the flesh. You can break the spell of the world in your life and you can stand up to the devil and I'll tell you the reason why is because the Bible says in 1 John 4, 4 is greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world let's say that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world and so here he's explaining a person who is cut off from God This is a bleak sight, it really is. But everything changes in verse 4. Those first two words, when God comes on the scene, there is hope for the helpless. We live in a helpless world, but there's hope. The scripture says this hope comes as a result of the mercy of God and the love of God. You know, God loves so deeply, He really does. It's a selfless love. The Greek word here is agape. And that's the kind of love that seeks the best for other people. God has this tremendous mercy. You know, you and I have mercy too, but not much of it. I've said to you before, when people call our church looking for mercy, we always transfer them to Diane. She's the mercy giver in our church. Somebody calls the church and says, I, I need mercy. They never send them to me. I'm like the law giver, you know. Uh, we send them to Diane, and she gives lots of mercy. And, and I think that all of us, we have some mercy, but God has an ocean of it. And so God looks down at the situation of, uh, of this person without Christ, and he reaches out to them, and he keeps reaching out to them. And the Bible says here that they are saved by grace in verse 5. By grace you have been saved. You know, when a person accepts Christ, salvation doesn't come later when they die. It comes the the moment they come to Christ, they're saved. Uh, There's a radical transformation that takes place in their heart because the Holy Spirit comes into their life and they're saved by grace. Uh, That's why we come to the church and we sing amazing, what? Grace. Because we know it's nothing we have done. God came down and intervened in our life. Uh, I joined the service, I've told you this before, when I was 17. And back in those days, I don't know what it is now, you couldn't go into the Air Force without your parents' permission at age 17. And so I brought the form home and I was kind of, I wanted my dad to sign it. He said, give me a pen. He signed off on it real quick. He loved the thought of me going to the service. And so I went out to the old Allegheny Airport out here in West Mifflin. A big old plane came in there and it was in a big old, it was a, it was a broken down plane. I don't know where they found this thing. Had two propellers on it and a whole bunch of kids from New York City. When I saw them, I wanted to get off the plane. They put the Pittsburgh guys on with the New York guys and we flew all the way to San Antonio, Texas for basic training. We, we landed in San Antonio at night. They opened the door in this blast of hot air hit me in the face. And I thought to myself, maybe this is not a good idea. (laughs) But it was too late. You know, it really was too late. Not long after that, I started to, for some unknown reason, I started to read the Bible. I know the reason now. I had a mother at home praying for me. And the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous mother avails much. She prayed for me. I started reading the Bible and I started to... Growing God. And I couldn't get enough of it. I was like addicted to Christ and the things of God. And so I remember I came home on leave and I thought, man, I'll tell you what, I'm really excited now to tell my friends in the neighborhood about Jesus. And so I thought, I'm going to go up to the old gas station there in Moon Run, right out by the airport. They were still up there, hanging out, my buddies. Kids I went to high school with. I was only 18 years old still at that time. And so I went up there. I was going to like bring them to Christ, right? I was all excited. And uh, I got up there. And you know, when you come to Christ, you just don't know how to present it. Most of the time you do it wrong. And you do more harm than good. And so I don't know exactly what I said, but it wasn't too cool. And I said something like, uh, well, you know, you need to be saved. I like that word. That's a biblical word. has a lot of meaning. I said, you guys need to be saved. And one of my friends that I had gone to high school with the whole time looked at me and said this. From the sincerity of his heart, he said, saved from what? And he meant it. Saved from what? Well, you know, in order for a person to be saved, they have to know from what they have been saved. And I'm here to tell you today that whenever a person is saved they are saved from the penalty of sin. Sin has a penalty. You know you you play you pay. You sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's the penalty. And the word death doesn't just mean you die when you get old. It means you're separated from God in life and in eternity in hell. When you die you go to hell. That's a penalty. And so, when you're saved, you're saved from the penalty. You're not under the penalty. You're free. You're free at last. You don't have to fear death. Not only are you saved from the penalty of sin, but you're saved from the power of sin. And I love that. The guy I rode down, I can talk about him. He's down at Deep Creek right now. You don't know him. The guy I rode down with, he says, you know, he said I was a truck. He was telling me, he said I was a truck driver for 15 years. And our vocabulary was the worst that you could ever dream of. And I can imagine that. And he said, when I, when I started to give my life to God, I went to my buddy who was a Christian and I said, listen, I, how can I stop this speaking like this, you know, this language? And the guy says, well, just pray about it and ask the Lord to help you. And he said, you know, in his simple faith, this guy, he said, I, started to, I asked God to help me, and guess what? He said, I seldom ever do it, only on occasions now. <laughs> he says, I'm making a lot of headway. <laughs> God bless him. So, save from the, from the power of sin is real. You know, uh, I don't, I don't, there is no addiction on the planet that God is not able to deliver somebody from. Either completely or daily, it's the same thing that's deliverance. And then lastly, we're saved from the presence of sin one day. And boy, that's going to be a happy day because I know people in our church, your heart's broken. Your heart's been broken or your heart's going to be broken because sin breaks people's heart. When you raise your kids and they mess up, when you uh, have situations that you mess up, it, it hurts. It hurts you and it hurts everybody around you. Well, one of these days the Bible says we're going to be out of this mess That we're in. We're going to go to heaven. And the former things are passed away. There's no more tears. There's no more sorrow. There's no more pain. The former things are passed away. I'll tell you what. That's what it means to be saved. Never be embarrassed to tell somebody what it means to be saved. Because a person can't be saved unless they know what they're saved from. And so... My buddies at the gas station, I think they're still up there at the gas station, by the way. I wasn't very successful with them. But I'm trying to be more successful along the line with others. First John five twelve says this. Let's read it. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Um, whenever we have Christ, we have life now. Not later, but now. Verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved. If you're here today and you say to yourself, Yes, I'm saved, uh, it's only by God's grace that you're saved. It's nothing you've done. You didn't create the plan, you didn't implement the plan. It was all God's plan. He did it all. He sent His Son on the rescue mission to save you. And by faith faith is God's remedy, it's the path of blessing. You know, if Jesus were here today and he walked down the aisle, it would be easy for us to be saved, wouldn't it? Every single person in this room would say, hey, count me in, Jesus. Don't leave me out. But that's not the way it works. God says, listen, I want you to believe in me even though you can't see me. And I want you to have faith in me. And people say, well, what is faith? How do we get faith? This is how faith is. God sees your heart, and sometimes your heart is hard, and faith can't grow. And then what happens is troubled times come into your life, and your heart becomes softer and more pliable. And the same person that talked to you before, now you're ready to listen to them, and they drop the Word of God into your heart, a little seed like that. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, faith grows by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. When people come to church for four or five weeks and after a while it's like they start to listen. You know, first four or five weeks it's under protest. You know. After a while they begin to listen because their heart. God's doing something in their heart. And that little seed, another little seed drops in and another little seed and a little water on that seed and a little nurture on that seed and all of a sudden... There's this little plant. It's called faith. It grows in our heart. It grows. The Bible says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It's the message of Christ that changes our heart. People can come to the church and say, Hey, listen, you've got a lot of friendly people up up there that won't get you to heaven. It's only God. It's only God growing faith in your heart. And so when when you have this faith in your heart, uh, then you're ready to... To use it, it's not of yourselves; it's not of your own works. I love this. You can never get yourself to heaven by working for it, you know, because if you could, Jesus would have never had to die on the cross. He could. He said, "Now listen. This is what I want you to do, and if you do that, it'll all be okay." He doesn't say that. Uh, There's only one work that God accepts for salvation, and that's the work that Jesus did on the cross—the work of Christ. People today are trying to be good enough to go to heaven. Listen, you'll never be good enough to go to heaven. They're trying to get baptized and join a church. That won't get you to heaven. Heaven only comes to you when you invite Christ into your heart. And then you have a purpose. Verse 10, for we are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. For what? For good works. When you have Christ in your heart, it makes you want to do something for the Lord. You know, I'm an addictive servant of the Lord. When somebody has something to do for God, I want to raise my hand. Somebody says, hey, let's go over here and do this. I want to raise, I want to get involved in everything. And sometimes, sometimes I'm over involved and I mess up things, you know, because I'm too involved. But there's something in me that just wants to run, to race, to do something for Christ. That is like, so exciting to me. It turns me on. And it, I didn't... That's not me. That's God moving on my heart. It really is. To do good works. And in order to do that, we have to be changed. Second Corinthians 5.17. Let's read it together. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away... Behold, all things have become new. A new creation. This is what happens. God takes the old you, the broken pot, and starts to work with you. And puts you back on the wheel. And he makes a new person out of you. Isn't that cool? A brand new person. And he shapes you. To do good works in this world. He makes you an original, by the way. God's not going to say to you when you stand before him, I wish you would have turned out like Billy Graham. There's only one of Billy Graham. And there's only one of you. You're an original. You might say, I really am an original. My wife tells me that all the time. Uh, But not only are you an original... You're a work in progress. You know, we don't expect too much out of you because it takes a lifetime to grow a Christian. You may be here today and you're about this big as a Christian. You're an infant. Well, we just want you to grow. That's all, That's all God's interested in. Just grow. We're not going to put you down because you're just that, that tall. Everybody's that tall at one time. Uh, you're a work in progress. You're to do good works. Oh, I'll tell you what. Serving the Lord is so great because it's forever. You know, here we're getting ready for our living, for, for our Christmas pro- program and we're working so hard and we're doing it. Not, we're not doing it for ourselves. Not for people to say, hey, boy, that church has a really nice Christmas thing up there. Listen, we don't need that. We're doing this because we want to impact people for Jesus. Scott and Kathy Ford, two years ago, invited their friend to come to our Christmas program. They came. They were excited to be here in our church because our people are so friendly. And they reach out to them. And they said, listen, this is the kind of church we want to be a part of. So the Sunday after the Christmas program, they came back. They have three boys. What a handful they are. They came back with the boys, and a few weeks later, they accepted Jesus as their Savior. And they've been coming ever since, and they were sitting right up here in the front in the first service. Scott and Kathy, Chuck and Christy. I think the boys were locked up in a room somewhere downstairs. But that's the way this whole thing's worked. We didn't do that two years ago to say, hey, listen, man, we can put on a Christmas program, just watch us. We did that for something for eternity. And so I want to encourage you, every opportunity, don't be like me. Don't volunteer for everything, but volunteer for something. Uh, being involved in the work of is forever, and it, several years ago I heard the story of Larry Walters. He's a 33-year-old man who decided he wanted to see his neighborhood from a new perspective. He went down to the local army surplus store one morning and bought 45 used weather balloons. That afternoon, he strapped himself into a lawn chair to which several of his friends tied the new helium-filled balloons to. He took along a six-pack of beer, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and a BB gun, figuring he could shoot the balloons one at a time when he was ready to land. Walter's, who assumed the balloons would lift him about 100 feet in the air was caught off guard when the chair soared more than 11,000 feet into the sky. Smack in the middle of the air traffic pattern of the Los Angeles International Airport. Too frightened to shoot any of the balloons, he stayed airborne for more than two hours, forcing the airport to shut down its runways for much of the afternoon causing long delays in flights from across the country. Soon after, he was safely grounded and sighted by the police. The reporters asked him three questions. Were you scared? He said, yes. Would you do it again? No. Why did you do it? Because, he said, you just can't sit there. That was his answer. You just can't sit there. And I think that's so true for a believer. When Christ comes into our heart, we just can't what? Let's say it together. We just can't sit there. You know, sitting at the feet of Christ is good, and we ought to be doing that all the time. And then we're to arise and... Not do what Larry Walters did, but put our hands and our heart to work for Christ so that our work will last forever. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, I wonder if you're here today and maybe, maybe you've been dead to God. You've gone to church, but you can't really get into it. You don't really understand it. But now you understand because of what I've said to you today from the Bible. And, and you've come today and God's speaking to your heart and you're ready maybe today to receive Christ as your Savior. Maybe you've heard some of these things before and you're just trying to put it all together. If you're ready today to receive Christ as your Savior, I want to encourage you to receive Christ right there where you sit here, right now in the church. You don't have to walk down the aisle. You don't have to have an emotional experience because salvation is a decision you make. It's a commitment you make to Christ. First of all, you come to the Lord and you say, listen, Lord, I'm lost. I'm separated from you. And I'm in the world and I don't know you. And I'm doomed because of that. And I thank you, God, for dying on the cross for me. And I want you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Give me a new life. Open my eyes spiritually so I can see you. Open my heart, Lord. I have a little faith. I don't have much. But I have enough to believe in you today, Lord. I believe. I can't see you, but I know you're here. If you're here today and you're ready to open your heart to Christ, to get honest with God, I'd like to ask you to pray this prayer right now in your heart. Dear Lord, forgive me of my sins. I know I'm dead to you. I can't communicate with you. Wash away my sins in your blood. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Come into my heart now. Live within me. Save me, Lord, from the penalty, from the power of sin in my life. I'll be a follower of yours. If you pray that prayer and you're sincere to God, the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He'll come to you. He'll run to you. Dear Lord, as we have the invitation this morning, I pray that you'll move among us. We thank you, Lord, for those in our church that you're drawing to you. Give us freedom in the church to come and pray for ourselves or for others in our our circle of influence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing to the Lord. If you'd like to come and pray here at the altar, just feel freedom to do that now as we sing our invitation song.